My Hockey Hero is proudly supported by eBay Canada. Hello, my name is Dean. I live in Burlington, Ontario, and I love hockey. Ever since I was a kid, I collected hockey cards with spirit change my dad gave me. As a black person, to see others like me on the ice inspired me. They were my role models and showed me hockey is a game for everyone. I've collected 100 rookie cards for NHL's black and biracial players, and I'm going to talk to all of them so you can learn their stories. Here yeah, we, we got go. the fight, Brown and Stewart, the two number 13s. Stewart with the lefts and Brown with the rights. Anthony Stewart was born in LaSalle, Quebec in 1985. He played six seasons in the NHL for the Florida Panthers, Atlanta Thrashers, and Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah, I had a big car, card collection and uh, we actually itemized them and had them in plastic growing up too. So I collected that and, uh, and Pog. So I was uh, the generation of Pog where I actually had NHL Pog. His rookie card is from 2005. A fresh-faced Anthony is in the white, red, and gold of the Panthers. His face is fixed in concentration as though he's fully in the moment. Let's meet the man from the card. Well, that's, uh, that was actually right after my draft year with the Florida Panthers. And uh, that actually was a very, very hot day. I think it was the day after my first day of rookie camp. And they wanted to start a new uh, card series of game-worn jerseys. So technically, if you wear the jersey, it's considered game-worn. So uh, my face in that picture looks a little bit annoyed because I had to try on probably about 15 jerseys. Because what they do is they cut it up and uh, into little pieces and they put it uh, into cards to make it a little bit more valuable. So I'm not sure how valuable it is now, but uh, I have probably about five different versions of that. But uh, that was when I was 18 years old. So I remember that night, uh, that day. It was a long day, a lot of photos, and my face looks like, hey, just get this photo shoot over with. I had enough, but uh, fond memories for sure. Anthony's early life began in Scarborough, Ontario, and it was full of challenges. Um, well, I grew up from a very, very humble, uh, with, you know, with very humble beginnings uh, in Scarborough. And, uh, you know, we grew up in uh, the shelter systems in Scarborough where, you know, we were moving from motel to motel around the world, uh, around the city, excuse me. And again, you see some things that nine and 10 year old kids should not see. But uh, what that did, though, was motivate me now to change my surroundings and saying, hey, this is rock bottom. Uh, only way to go from here is up. So. Um, you know, it was my mission from 11, 12 years old to make the National Hockey League and take my family out of those uh, situations that they were in. And it was a lot of pressure, but um, I just remember being uh, at home at night, sleeping in, uh, you know, a bed with two or three of my siblings and being like, you know what, I'm going to change this. I'm going to change this. So, And the first time he got to skate, things didn't go as planned. Yeah, I think the first time I actually have a picture of myself skating, I think when I was three years old and I don't remember it, but my mom was on the ice with me and she actually fell and broke her kneecap. So that was my first experience of skating. <laughs> uh, uh, but my first, um, I think, house league game and my dad was an immigrant from Jamaica and, you know, he was a big Montreal Canadiens fan. And when he first came to Canada and watched the, you know, the Bob Gamies and the Guy Lafleur's, a lot of those players weren't wearing helmets, let alone face shields. So my first practice, or I think it was even a game, I'm skating around, he puts me out there, I'm not wearing a cage on my helmet. <laughs> so here I am, five years old on the ice, and they're like, sir, your son needs a cage. And he's like, well, 
we don't have a cage. Like, well, you're going to have to go buy one. He's like, well, we can't afford one. So I think it took about two, three weeks before we paid the 30 bucks to get a cage and get back. So I remember skating around with the wind on my face. And I think that memory actually urged me not to wear a visor in the NHL. But uh, that's a, a memory that I remember at five years old for sure. As Anthony dreamed of a bright future, his commitment on and off the ice caught the eye of his community. Yeah, well, I played, uh, you know, I started off at seven years old uh, playing for the West Hill Golden Hawks. And then there was a gentleman that uh, owned a triple A AAA organization called Bob Law. And, um, you know, he he approached my dad and said, hey, your son has a lot of potential to, to play the game. And he's a really good player. We'd love for him to play for the North York Canadians. And the first thing that my dad says, well, <laughs> if you want him, you can have him. But we can't afford to, to pay anything. We didn't have a lot of money. And we talk about the expenses of hockey and you know, we didn't have the $3 that it cost to get into the hockey arena. They used to charge you to go watch games. So, um, you know, those humble beginnings helped mold me. But, um, you know, we had the support of the community where, you know, we always had a ride to the rink. We always had a meal after the rink. So so I remember I was paying house league at the time. I think it was two, 300 bucks and we didn't have that. So he said, at the end of the day, just trust us that he's going to be in a good environment and uh, we'll take care of the registration costs. So he went above and beyond to make sure I had a ride to the rink and, uh, there was another family as well, the Zemendorfs, and, uh, you know, they were the family that picked us up at the side of the road as we used to walk to the rink. We didn't have the bus fare to get to the arena. So uh, when I talk about the community support, we really, really had that. What's great about it was these families weren't necessarily wealthy by any sense of the word. They uh, were church people. Uh, they earned a really, really uh, decent living. Uh uh, but they gave what they could. So that was a great uh, motivator for me to say, hey, here's a family that didn't have to do it. They didn't, we weren't uh, necessarily rich by any sense of the word and they decided to help me. So that's my calling now, my second calling to sort of replicate uh, what those families did for myself and my family when I was younger. The more time he spent on the ice, the better he got. You know, they talk about natural. I was a natural from day one. Uh, my first year house league, um, they, I actually got kicked off the team. I think the first game I had 10 goals. So I was, you know, five years old playing with the eight-year-olds. And then when I was seven, they put me with the 10-year-olds. So I remember that, uh, you know, they tried moving me teams and putting me on the bottom team. And then we would beat the top team. So they essentially uh, kicked me out of house league. <laughs> and I ended up playing a couple of years up select. And uh I think I had the family record for a couple of years, I think 10 goals in a game. And I think my brother beat me by one a couple of years down the line. So um, I, I remember, uh, and, I, and I try to tell the kids these days, like, you know, what made me a good player in minor hockey was, yes, I was big, I was fast, I was strong, uh, but I was a big team player. I could make the worst player on my team score a goal, or I went above and beyond to try to help the players that weren't as great. I try to make them better and feel part of the team. So to have that leadership skill, at a young age, I know it sounds like I'm tooting my own horn here, but I just remember that trying to make the weaker players feel a big, a big part of the team. Um, again, it was one of those things where I just loved the game so much. I wanted to perform at a high level, but I actually worked on the craft every single day. My brother and I, if we weren't on the ice, we were playing roller hockey, ball hockey, foot hockey, uh, ringette. We were doing it all because we, we love, we generally had a love for the game. Anthony's passion and commitment were paying off. And while he was getting attention, not all of it was positive. Yeah, there's definitely some challenges. You know, I played in some uh, Detroit uh, tournaments where, you know, you have kids that use the N-word, but, you know, you have to look at it from my perspective. Growing up in a situation of, you know, astute poverty, for lack of better words, 
you know, I had bigger problems, right? You know, I always talk about and talking to parents, you know, it's great that you had this internal hunger to make it to the next level. And I said, yeah, the, the hunger, it was a literal hunger. I was literally hungry. <laughs> so when you have that mentality and you're 10, 11 years old and you have this goal, you know, I knew where I was going at a young age. And I knew a lot of those people, there was going to be detractors. And my dad used to tell me, you have to work twice as hard for half the opportunity. There's going to be people that are going to want to deny you. And so I was prepared from a young age. As Anthony grew into adulthood, the generosity of another black player, Anson Carter, who had already made it to the NHL, allowed him to develop and learn from some amazing talent. You know, when I was 18 years old, uh, my girlfriend, who's my wife now, um, lived in California. And I would spend my summers before the NHL training uh, with T.R. Goodman, who was a black trainer uh, in the NHL. And he trained a lot of these NHL players. So here I was, not even in the league at 18 years old, training with Rob Blake and Chris Chelios and uh, Ray Liotta. And, you know, you got Hulk Hogan at the gym. So here I am, this 18-year-old kid from Canada, not even the league, and Anson Carter went above and beyond every single day to invite me to breakfast after, after our workout every single day. So here I am now quiet. Hey, do you want to come to breakfast? And, you know, I'd always be like, I don't have any money in my pocket. My wife's uh, my girlfriend's going to college at the time. I got $10 for gas to get back across the city. And I'd always say, yeah, I'd love to come, but I don't have any money. He's like, don't worry about it. So he'd buy me breakfast every single day. And that was something that um, he didn't have to do. He could be like, here's a guy trying to get my job at the NHL in a couple of years, but he went above and beyond to uh, just feed me, which was great. And again, I always bring that story up whenever I see Anson. Anthony then leapt into junior hockey at the OHL level for the Kingston Frontenacs. And once again, he had some great mentors to support his first few years. Uh, I first thought Kingston, I didn't even know where it was on the map. I thought it was probably out west by London or Kitchener, but uh, it was two hours uh, east of my uh, city in Scarborough there. So it was great. Uh, and, and what I loved about Kingston was I got in there and uh, Lou Dickinson was there. who was a former top draft pick who was BIPOC as well. Took me under his wing and, um, you know, immediately, you know, I wanted to look like him, dress like him. And he took care of me. And, uh, you know, I didn't really have to deal with too much hazing because, you know, I was his boy, for lack of better words. And uh, Larry Mavity uh, gave me an opportunity, who was a junior hockey legend, and put me on the first line right away. And I learned, uh, you know, how to be a player in the OHL by making mistakes. And I was able to make mistakes. And uh, I finished my first year, I think, with 43 points. And I think I was second on scoring, second in scoring, excuse me, on the team. And, but I was just able to go there and be myself. I didn't have to worry about trying to assimilate or be somebody else or put it on. I was able to dress the way I wanted to, act the way I wanted to, because it was a welcoming uh, experience uh, from, the, from the team, the city, and the organization. If you're enjoying My Hockey Hero and thinking about starting your own hockey card collection, I'd suggest you start with eBay eBay is all about connecting communities and feeling passions. Because of its thriving card collector community, I was able to make my dream come true by collecting the rookie cards of the NHL's black and biracial players. Start your own collection at ebay.ca slash hockey cards. Then in 2005, Anthony's NHL dreams finally came true. His whole family headed to Nashville for the draft. No, it was definitely a great experience. And, um, 
it was a family affair and I think it was my mom's first time on a plane in about 20 years so she had a lot of anxiety going down there and uh, it's funny you know just the nervousness of the day and um, I used to tell her like hey I'm going anywhere from you know 15 to 25 so please don't go and she left I think I picked 20 and uh, but it, it was great um, because my agent at the time Bobby Orr had myself and Eric Stahl uh, Nathan Horton and a couple players that were drafted fairly high. So to experience that as a group of friends uh, going down there to Nashville and, and having a great time down there with their families was definitely great. But uh, to hear my name called in the first round was a uh, whirlwind of emotions. And uh, you see me walking down, I think I actually shed a tear because all my hard work was starting to come to fruition and, and being recognized uh, as being one of the top players in the draft class was definitely great. And uh, being drafted to Florida was a tremendous honor. And, you know, I signed my contract, I think, uh, 18 months later. It was definitely a great experience. And so I think we're going on the 20-year anniversary uh, of that. I'm feeling a little bit old now, but uh, I still remember that day like it was yesterday. And now officially an NHLer, Anthony was able to give back to the family that had supported him. Um, I, you know, it's great to say at 19 years old, I... I was uh, signed my first NHL contract and my first purchase was a, a family a house for my family. So, um, you know, those those humble beginnings helped, uh, you know, uh, motivate me to become the hockey player that I was. Uh, but it also helped me teach my brother those lessons, too. So he was in the same surroundings and uh, he was in there a little bit longer than I was. And that molded him even more uh, to, to be motivated even more to, to have a great career as well. And Anthony didn't just want success for himself. He was determined to share his opportunities with his brother. Yeah, well, my brother, he's, he played almost 700 games. And, um, you know, he actually quit his OHL draft year where, um, you know, a lot of the families went above and beyond financially to take care of myself to get to the ranks. But um, he didn't really have that. Uh, so he had to pay his own way to hockey and he had to take the bus. And, you know, by the time he was... 15 years old, he just decided, hey, it's too much of a burden on the family financially, so he's just going to quit. He didn't really want to take the bus anymore. It was too expensive. So he quit, and you know, he was in high school, and he decided, hey, you know what? I'm just going to play football. So he was actually a, a world-class football player where you know, he was possibly going to get a scholarship or play in the CFL because he was a big boy at six two and a half, and he was, I think, officially 285 pounds, maybe a little bit bigger, but he was very, very fast. He was like a world-class sprinter as well. He ran really, really fast. I think it was like a 4.5 or a 4.6 at 285. So he had a lot of prospects doing that. But uh, the one year we didn't make the playoffs, which was obviously a lot of times in Kingston, I came back a little bit early and he would just play school hockey for fun. So I went one day just to show my support and I'm sitting there and I'm seeing him. I'm like, this guy's moving around at this weight, this great on the ice. And he's got amazing hands. I'm like, dude, you, you got to play hockey, man. He's like, well, what are you talking about? Playing? I'm like, well, if you train, you know, I'll get you a tryout in, in Kingston. So I had no idea how I was going to do it, but I just decided, Hey, you know what? I got to get this guy in shape. So I'd always go for my daily runs and I would bring him with me. And at first he couldn't keep up because he was so heavy. So he'd ride his bike. Uh, then a couple weeks later, he'd be able to now switch to rollerblades. And then after about six weeks, here he is running. And by the end of the summer, he ended up passing me in some of these runs. So to see him now transform his body and his mind and say, Hey, you know what? I'm going to decide to be a, a, a hockey player. Now that was, that's, that's the story, right? They need to write a movie on that. So I ended up calling Larry Mavity, who was the GM at the time and say, Hey, you know, I have a brother. Uh, he didn't get drafted, but he is a player. 
and uh, the rest was history. You walked on as a as a as a fighter. <laughs> uh, you only played a couple of games, I think, in the first twenty games. He was in and out of the lineup, but um, he really got his opportunity once I went away to World Juniors and Team Canada. And they put him in my position and ended up scoring a bunch of goals. He finished with eighteen or nineteen goals as a rookie walk on. So. Uh, to see him do that, the rest was history. Him being a first rounder and going on to play almost 700 games, uh, an amazing accomplishment. Anthony now looks back fondly at the life hockey gave him on and off the ice. Yeah, so I played 10 years professionally and six were in the NHL. Um, I think my best season was probably with the Atlanta Thrashers, where I left the Florida organization and I ended up signing with the Atlanta Thrashers. And, uh, you know, I had a really, really great coach and Craig Ramsey who said, hey, Regardless of the adversity that you went through in your career, I want you to come in and just worry about playing and being the best version of yourself. You don't have to worry about fighting. Just go out there and play. Um, so to be in Atlanta with, uh, you know, we had four other black players on the team. It was great. And being in a black city and and just seeing, you know, black wealth and, and being in, in such an amazing city where away from the rink, you know, there were so many great things to do, so much uh, parks to go to, restaurants and and be a center point uh, and a focus of the team and the organization was great. Uh, so that was my best season. I think I had 14 goals and uh, just under 40 points. Uh, but just being in, in in that city and making an impact on, on growing the game. And we talk about uh, diversity and equity. And, you know, we were doing that in 2012, 2013, almost 10, you know, six, seven years before you know, they were really making a serious push on growing the game. So to be a part of that was definitely great. And one to, uh, till this day, I really keep in touch with a lot of the players and Nigel Dawes and Dustin Bufflin, Johnny Oduya. And, you know, there were some great, great players, Evander Kane on that team too. So we didn't make the playoffs that year, but being in that city and being part of something bigger than just the game of hockey is, is something that I remember to this day. But what about life after hockey? Anthony decided he wanted to inspire the next generation. I want to stay in hockey. Um, if I just get on the ice and start working with some kids, the business side will follow. And, um, you know, I had an ex-teammate of mine from junior hockey that had his own hockey school. And it started out with me coming out a couple days a week uh, till I was running the business about eight months later. Um, so um, I sort of fell out of love with the game because, again, you didn't your career doesn't end the way you want it. But... Just me being back on the ice with these young kids and seeing them getting better and them looking up to you, I fell in love with the game. I remember some practices, me getting off early as a player. You know, I was on the ice for hours and hours and hours. I one day did nine hours in a day. And I'm like, it felt like one. So I really fell in love with the game. And, you know, the business started taking care of itself where I had a really, really successful hockey school, uh, 30 kids on the ice. Uh, but uh, the one area that I realized was um, the game was really, really expensive. And, you know, my wife did our books for the hockey school and there'd be 30 kids, but she's like, well, where's all the money? And I said, well, you know, there's 30 kids, maybe 10 paid full price and the other 10 paid half. And then the other 10 didn't pay anything because they couldn't afford it. So we had to figure out a way how to supplement those costs and, and really now help some of these kids and go above and beyond. And that's where hockey quality came from. Hockey Equality is a charity that is working hard to make hockey accessible to everyone, regardless of skin color, gender, or the circumstances you're born into. Yeah, well, everything comes full circle, right? And we, we talked about myself with families going above and beyond. And, you know, I was the player now driving to the rink and having to pick kids up that were, you know, walking from the subway 
And I had to be the, the guy now taking kids out to lunch after and dinners after. So what I ended up doing was, hey, you know what? We're going to recognize these kids that I've been on the ice with and training and developing into top players the last five years. So we're going to start a mentorship series. So I used my contacts at Sportsnet and said, hey, you know, would you mind coming out and just talking to these kids and just give them some expertise? And, uh, you know, we had uh, people from Sportsnet come and talk to them how to do an interview and how to sit and how to breathe. And, you know, we had writers to come out and talk to them about writing and journaling and just giving them all these tools and we documented it and we actually presented it to the NHL and saying, hey, here's the future of hockey. Everyone talks about growing the game and the barriers, what needs to be done. We're identifying these kids. We're putting our money where our mouth is. This is 10 kids. We now want to do this for 100 kids. And I think it's great to say that I think we're at 600 kids on boarded. And our first year from our mentorship series, we had 10 kids drafted to the OHL. Four are currently in the OHL right now. And these weren't kids that we just said, hey, uh, we're doing this thing. Can you come support? It's kids that we knew for the last five, six years that were with Stewart Hockey or had a friend that was with Stewart Hockey. So it's great to see that. And um, it's great that we're now full partners with the NHL, the NHLPA uh, and the GTHL now where they're providing a lot of our funding now. So uh, we offer now, we talk about the financial barriers. You know, all our grassroots programming is free. You can get on the ice and, and we provide equipment and we have elite training. So you can be a player now going into the OHL and train for $20. You can come to a camp now for instead of $150 a day, $50 a day. But now you get lunch, you get mentorship, you get on ice. You can go in the gym with Matt Nickel, who's training Andrew Wiggins and Andre DeGrasse and be rubbing shoulders with those guys. So it's just showing these kids the pathway in that ladder system and doing it now where um, the only barrier is going to be their hard work. You, you, if you can afford the 20 bucks, that's great. If you can't, well, we'll figure out a way to supplement that too. And we use the term uh, equity deserving, right? Because there's families that, um, you know, uh, are Caucasian and they could come from a single parent home or they're in college, right? Hockey's very expensive, right? So uh, we use the term uh, equity deserving. And, you know, I think our philosophy is there's other groups that want to use a speedboat with one pocket of people where we're trying to take a cruise ship with everybody. And I, I think it's, it's great because, um, you know, everyone sees our logo and it can mean whatever you want it to mean, uh, but just knows that you're welcome. You can come in and, and get on ice training, get mentorship. It's almost a, a hockey hub where you're going to be welcomed with open arms and whatever you need and whatever support system you need, we're here to help. Anthony is using his experiences and passion to ensure hockey has a vibrant future. Uh, this is not uh, something we're trying to do in the next two years. This is generational work and we're just getting started now. But, uh, you know, it's great to see now um, families where they weren't even sure they wanted to play hockey two years ago. Seeing the kid now thriving and flourishing and the confidence and them walking into the arenas and how excited they are to, to be on the ice. Um, I tell everybody I was a hockey equality kid and that was the start just getting them on the ice. And that's what we're trying to do. Sticks and hands and skates on the ice and uh we're, we're well on our way to doing that. We're proud to be working with Hockey Equality. Hockey Equality is on a mission to create diversity at all levels of the game of hockey by lowering financial barriers for BIPOC female and other equity deserving youth hockey players. If you've been moved by the story shared on this podcast and want to help make hockey accessible to all, check out hockeyequality.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast but would like to dive deeper, then check out our extended version of this interview at Recognize, 
Black Hockey Heroes of the NHL. You can click on the link in the show notes or find it wherever you get your podcasts. You can see the cards of the players in my collection at blackhockeycards.com. This has been a Podstarter production. production.